I never met my mother's father, and that may be part of the appeal. He's a story, a rumor, and as we'll see, a certain amount of distance is also very useful when telling this story. It's much easier, safer, to think of things in terms of cliffhangers and plot twists than of the real emotions of the people who lived it. I grew increasingly fascinated with him, so much so in fact that I often felt a good deal of guilt about my relative lack of interest in some other branches of my family tree. Hello, Mother. That's Hello, the beginning. Son. I've got to say that to her. Okay. You do have to say okay. that. This is my mother, Linda. Lynn. I told you, they, they were meant to be, well, leaving the country. We're going over some of the, I hesitate to say facts, but until recently, this is what we thought we knew about his early life. I only remember hearing that from my He mom. was Jewish and Austrian-Dutch, born in a place called Lemberg. His name was Adolf. I know. Adolf Lempert, but originally, apparently, Adolf Mendelwitz. He lost his family in the Holocaust, but he escaped. One version even has him literally escaping a concentration camp. In any case, he made it to London and changed his surname to Lempert, apparently an anglicised version of his birthplace. One might have thought this was an opportunity to change that first name, but you do you, Adolf. Were you growing up aware that that was a slightly problematic name? Were you like, would, would you just go, yeah, my dad's called Adolf? Adolf from Hitler. Um, probably, yes. I, must, uh, I, I don't think as a kid I would have thought much about it. No, because you weren't and By like... the time I was an adult, yeah. it wasn't, you know, I just thought, oh, it's like Adolf Hitler. Yeah, know? exactly, yeah. But um, he was always called Addy. Right, OK. During the rest of the war, he served in the RAF as a navigator and even got a medal. We know this because my mother has that medal. She gave it to me. While in England, he met and married my nan, who was called Olive. And so Dad used to call her Oddie. <laughs> Oddie? Yeah. So Addie and Oddie. Yeah. OK, right. Addie and Oddie had two daughters. First my Auntie Pauline, then my mother. And Addie, Adolf, was a stamp dealer. A pretty successful one too, with an office in Gerrard Street in the West End. All I can remember him doing was stamps. Right. I think he, when he was, he, how he got into the stamps, I'm not sure. The reason these details are vague or uncertain is partly because, perhaps understandably, he didn't speak much about his past to his young daughters. But it's mainly because of something he did in what I've come to think of as his controversial third act, something we will get to in a later episode, I promise. Something that meant he was pretty much persona non grata from then on. As I said, a certain amount of distance can be useful. This means that the UK has voted to leave the European Union. As I woke up to the news that Britain had voted to leave the European Union, I felt, as I guess many out-of-touch Liberopolitan millennials did, that a part of my identity had been taken away. Heartbroken, with no sense of hope, I panicked. I even rejoined the Liberal Democrats at one point. This is unfair. The North London Lib Dems are a really nice bunch. But soon, thoughts turned to my grandfather. Somewhat of an enigma, but certainly born in Europe, discovering more about him would be a way to reclaim this European identity. There was also the more practical, selfish motivation of somehow using this ancestry to hold on to my EU passport. 
by applying to be a citizen of. And here really was the first problem. Austrian Dutch? Is that a thing? Am I applying for an Austrian passport or a Dutch passport? He was born in Lemberg, but I couldn't find a Lemberg in Austria or the Netherlands. I asked my mother if she had any more details about him. She gave me a middle name of Moritz and a birth year of 1913, April 1913. With that, I began this journey, one that will take us from Lemberg to Lisbon to London, from escaping Nazis to fighting the Nazis, and from stamp dealing to French prisons and Freemasonry. My name is Andrew Evans, and this is Unboarded, my search for Adolf Lempert. result you get is from the archives of the London Gazette. In 1949, Adolf Moritz Lempert, a stamp dealer of uncertain nationality, is on a list of aliens to whom certificates of naturalisation have been granted by the Secretary of State and whose oaths of allegiance have been registered in the Home Office during the month of May 1949. Uncertain nationality. This already didn't bode well for that passport application. Knowing he served in the RAF, I tried R-A-F, Adolf Lempert. This gives you a list of war pilots in service of the Royal Air Force and Fleet Air Arm between the 14th of May 1940 and 1st of January 1945 in the European War Theatre. And this is a list on which he appears. This was a good result. It gave me his squadron number, 320, confirmed his date of birth, 24th of April 1913, and his birthplace of Den Haag, The Hague, in the Netherlands. And so, almost straight away, I lost one of our few agreed-upon facts, his birthplace of Lemberg. I put in a request to the Netherlands Institute for Military History for more information. Meanwhile, further searches for Adolf Lempert, or Adolf Mendelwitz, supposedly his birth name, were fairly fruitless, just a handful of London addresses we already knew about. Fearing a dead end, I dispensed with surnames altogether and began searching using just his forenames, Adolf Moritz, thankfully a rare combination, and his birthday, 24th of April 1913. I put this information into family search, and through this site I found Anne Adolf Moritz. 1. Born in 1913, April 24th. It had to be him. But the surname wasn't Lempert or Mendelwitz. It was Zucker Candle. One thing I've learned about family trees is it really helps if your family were moving around a lot. Immigrants equal immigration documents. It's especially useful if they attract the attention of the police. And so a great deal of credit must go to Zaya Zucker Candle my, as it turns out, great-grandfather.
The result from family search was from the Belgium Antwerp Police Immigration Index, 1840 to 1930, which led me to 30 pages of documents. The first thing I saw was a photo of a family. A mother, a father and four children. Even before translating anything, I was able to check the documents and put names to these faces. Zaya Zuckercandle, his wife, Frieda Regina, and their children, Rosa, Philip, Mori... Mori we, we think it says Morier, we might come on to that later. And, right in the middle, the oldest son, looking, as my sister noted, a lot like Fievel Mouskowitz from the animated feature An American Tale, Adolf. It was nice to see the name Frida Regina. That's where I got my That's name. That's your grandmother, because your middle name is... Regina. Regina, exactly. But you didn't know that that was a... Which I didn't or, like when I was at school. Because it, it was pronounced Regina. Mm. Well, I kind of... <laughs> yeah. Also in the file, we had Zaya's birth certificate. I don't know if this was typical for the time, but it reads more like a little story than a formal document. On the 6th of August, 1888, born in Scalat in a house with the number 12, a child that was circumcised in the synagogue on the 13th of August, and it received the name Zaya. It was, the story continues, an illegitimate child. His mother was Sprintz, daughter of Zelig and Ruschel Zuckerkandl. Although Abe Meyer Lempert was acknowledged to be the father, and although they do later marry, Zaya takes his mother's name. So here I learned Lempert wasn't a name that Adolf invented when he reached England. It was the name of his grandfather. At this point, I could also assume that Mendelwitz was just wrong. Curiously, this entry into the registers for births in the Jewish district of Scalat doesn't seem to have been made until 1921. And the version I have is a French translation made in January 1940, for reasons that will eventually become clear-ish. Zaya and Frieda were married in 1912 in Lemberg. And in 1913, still in Lemberg, not The Hague, they had a son. Adolf Moritz. So he was born in Lemberg. But where is Lemberg? And why do all these documents say he's Polish? Clearly, we need to talk about Lemberg. Hi there, can you hear me now? Hello, I can hear you very well. Good, okay, excellent. If you could just introduce yourself in a sort of short bio format. Yeah, I'm, my name's Philippe Sands. I teach international law at UCL. I'm a barrister at Matrix Chambers, and I wrote a book called East West Street. Really, you should just stop listening to this now and go and read East West Street. It's an astonishing book, telling the story of the origins of international law, but so much more besides. And I was particularly drawn to the pages that cover Philippe's own family history. His grandfather, Leon, was also born it's in this obscure, obscure city called Lemberg, I knew him very well. I knew him until I was 37 years old. But he never talked about anything that happened before 1945. So I never really knew. I knew nothing about his family. I knew nothing about the background. I just knew terrible things had happened, but I didn't know the details. Um, in 2010, I received an invitation to give a lecture in the University of Lviv on the work that I do as a barrister and as an academic on crimes against humanity and genocide. And I accepted basically because I wanted to see the city he came from, 
once I'd worked out that Lviv was Lemberg, was Lvov, that it was all the same place. And I was just curious, actually, to find the house that he lived in. That was the, the heart uh, of the reason that this great adventure began. So Lemberg is the city now known as Lviv, part of the Ukraine. I am going to just break the fourth wall here quickly and tell you that, of course, I'd already Googled Lemberg before speaking to Philippe and knew it was now known as Lviv. But in trying to construct a compelling narrative, it's much better if you hear that bit from an international lawyer. At the time my grandfather was born, Lemberg, as it was then, was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, but not for long. In fact, between 1914 and 1945, Lemberg, Lviv, Lviv, would change hands, I think, seven or eight times. But by 1914, the Zucker candles are already in Leipzig, Germany. That is, I assume they are, because it's there they have a daughter, Rosa. There then follows a seven-year period in which I'm unable to pin them down. A period that obviously takes in the entire First World War. But in 1921, they are in the Netherlands, The Hague, where a third child is born, a son, Philip, and three years later, still in The Hague, a fourth and final child, Mori... Mo it's spelled M-O-R-I-J-E. Morier? Until... Very recently, we'd been pronouncing it Morridge, like porridge, even though we were almost certain this wasn't a name. One of the handwritten entries looks like it might even be Mary, but with an E on the end. Zaya gained a bad reputation in the Netherlands. Nothing too scandalous by the looks of it, most likely insurance fraud, a theft that never really happened. Bad enough, mind you, that in 1926, he's expelled from the entire country, which is why, in 1926, Belgium-Antwerp Police Immigration File number 191141 is opened, complete with family portrait. But why when they enter, Azaya, Frieda and Adolf recorded as Polish? Philippe Sands had wondered the same thing about his grandfather, Leon. When I went to Lviv for the first time to prepare, my, I asked my mother whether she had any documents, and she surprised me by saying she did. And in the bundle of documents, I found a Polish passport in his name, Leon Buchholz, that dated to 1923. And I was curious about that. I didn't quite understand how a city he was born in in 1904 and left in 1914 when he was 10 years old could leave him with Polish nationality. He discovered that following the First World War, alongside the main Treaty of Versailles, a number of other treaties were also signed. One of which it was known as the Little Treaty of Versailles. And that treaty essentially um, provided for a new rule to be applicable, which basically said, as part of the price of gaining uh, independence, Poland was required, firstly, to give minorities living within its new territory uh, protections under the law, and secondly, that any person born in the territory of what was about to become Poland, even before 1919, would be treated as a Polish national. And so my grandfather, by operation of the little treaty of Versailles of the summer of 1919, became a Polish national. And I suspect that's exactly what happened for your grandfather, because he was born in the same city. So Zaya, Frieda and my grandfather all entered Belgium as Polish citizens. 
Rosa, of course, is listed as German, and Philip and Mo... whatever, are Dutch. I have to say, in his picture, suited with slicked-back hair and an unfortunate toothbrush moustache, Zaya does look a little shady. But his documents remark several times on his not causing any trouble. He sells knitwear and underwear in Antwerp, pays his taxes, and all seems well until the 23rd of May, 1934, when he is, again, told to leave the country that he must report within 24 hours to receive his travel card. But, for whatever reason, he doesn't. And it's not as though they lose track of him. They continue to keep tabs on the whole family. Which is why I know, for example, that on the 1st of June, 1935, age 22, Adolf moved from Antwerp to Scharbeck in Brussels. And that on the 20th of June, he was joined by the rest of the family, save the mysterious Morier, of whom there is no further record. I know that they lived there until June 1937, when Zaya, Frieda, Rosa and Philip moved to nearby saint Justinud, presumably leaving Adolf in Scharbeck. But something happened during this time that would have affected my grandfather and his parents. In the mid-1930s, I forget what date, about 1934, after Hitler came to power, the Polish government abrogated the little Treaty of Versailles, and with that act those people who had been given Polish nationality in 1919 lost it. And so my grandfather became a stateless person after that date. On the 1st of September, 1939, Germany invaded Poland and the Second World War began. On the 30th of December, 1939, Zaya, and maybe just Zaya, is back in Antwerp, showing his ID issued in St. Jos. In February 1940, he's still living there, selling skins and furs. The translation of his birth certificate found in his immigration files dates from this time. By now, he must have been fully aware that he had become stateless and what was going on across Europe. They would already have known for seven years what was going on in Germany. They would have known of what happened when Germany takes over your country. They would have had reports from Czechoslovakia, they would have had reports from Austria, Radio was already up and running by then, and I know from um, speaking to people who remember listening to radio in Zolkiev, the small town outside Lviv, that they could listen to radio stations and so they would get news about what was going on. So he would have known, either by newspaper reports or by radio, what was going on in other places. Um, and that, I think, would have created a tremendous sense of anxiety because they would have known that if the Germans entered Belgium, they would be in tremendous difficulty. That would have given rise to a whole load of questions about what do we do, where do we go? That may well have been why, on the 4th of May, 1940, Adolf wrote on behalf of his mother, brother and sister, asking if they can have permission to use the name Lempert. Apparently, the chamber had accepted their request to become Belgian citizens. They just needed the paperwork to show this change of name. He enclosed five Belgian francs for expenses. Zaya, he claimed, had already obtained this permission. They obviously felt that becoming Belgian citizens might offer them some degree of protection. It's curious. I mean, that's that would be the working assumption. But of course, you couldn't plan for every uh, sort of eventuality. And we didn't know how the Germans would precisely operate their laws. And it may well have been that unwittingly, he was putting himself in a worse situation. On the 10th of May, 1940, Germany invaded Belgium. 
first time on Unboarded. It was unimaginable that their world would be utterly and totally destroyed, and yet it was. It must have dawned on him that uh, at some point he needs to stand up and fight. Seeing that on a piece of paper, the fact that they've all got a number. He must have been very inventive, really. He must have been quite a survivor. I don't think we can assume that somehow human nature has changed and the human being's capacity to do terrible things to each other has somehow disappeared. I don't think it has disappeared. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. Why don't you say it with me? We want our country back. The Unboarded Podcast is written and presented by me, Andrew Evans, with contributions from my mother, Lynn Evans, from Professor of Law at UCL, Philippe Sands, and from Chris Hendricks of the RAF Museum in Hendon. Abstracts of the immigration documents were provided by John Burren. Visit unboardedpodcast.com to see pretty much all the documents mentioned here, as well as links to episodes and a playlist of the soundtrack. If you would like to get in touch, please tweet me at unboarderedpod or email me at unboarderedpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe.